thick and different things, but um, we do have a, a family that has signed up and wanted to dedicate their baby today. Uh, it, and it's funny because not this particular one, but a lot of times anymore, I've been here so long, I'm dedicating children of people that I dedicated the children now they're the parents, and I dedicated them when they were a baby because I've been here long enough to see a second generation of babies coming around. Uh, you know what that makes me? That's right, old, and, uh, and I'm here for it. So I'm going to ask if the family would come and join me in the front of little Charlie Ann Hall. I want everyone to give the family a big hand clap as they bring the baby this morning. can't imagine that Ron Hall was the first one to take the limelight off the child. I can't imagine that. Just, no, I'm not, let, I'm not letting, no, I'm not letting you have the microphone. Only wedding I've ever done in 21, uh, 25 years of ministry where the groom hijacked his own wedding ceremony so he could preach a while. So the reason we bring you up is because obviously little Charlie can't make any kind of decisions on her own. So she has to be guided and directed and instructed. And that's your job. As the overseers of what is right and just and good for her life, we don't bring her up in front of God so she can make a solemn vow because she's unable to do so. So we bring you up here. And we charge you with the responsibility to raise her in God's house, to teach her right from wrong, to present to her God's word, and always be an example of what a godly father and family is supposed to look like. So that's what we bring you up here for, so that you'll set the example for Charlie. The vow you're making today isn't for the baby, it's for you that you'll do right, love mercy, and do justly. Oh, uh, do you like Grandpa? Somebody has to. <laughs> so my wife is going to come at this point, and Pastor Amanda is going to bring Charlie's first Bible. It may not be her first, but it's the first one from Promise of Victory. And we want to present this Bible to her because when she's old enough to get around and pick things up, we want her to pick up the Word of God because there's nothing ever going to be more important than the Word of God in her life, and there's nothing that's ever going to make as big of an impact in her life as the Word of God. So we want to present this to her as a gift from us because we love her. We love that we are growing from the inside. I mean, this is one way to do church growth. Um, as long as you're not depending on me to do it, we can handle it, but... Uh, I'm done with this baby-making process, but, you know, more power to you guys. Uh, so God bless you as you do and, and, and uh, replenish the earth and multiply. Uh, I'm going to ask at this time for the staff and the, and the wives of the staff and different ones, uh, if you've got Stephen ministers in here, uh, to come and join us as we pray over this family. If you would, uh, just make your way up here. We, uh, we want to take this opportunity to solemnize this as a, as a moment where we uh, we know that the baby can't do this, so the family has to. So we need to pray for strength and wisdom. We're living in an upside-down world that really doesn't know much about the ways of God. So we want to just take a moment 
and pray over this family that as they raise this child, God gives them godly intuition and the strength to stand against the tide that is pushing against everything that is godly. Would you join us as we pray? Father, we love you, and we know that you have got little Charlie in your hands. We pray not only for health for this baby, but God, we pray for wisdom for the family. Uh, from the generations ahead of Charlie, that they would walk in your steps, that they would submit their lives to you, that they would commit themselves to what is right and just and holy and true, that they would hide your word in their heart, that they would never do anything, oh God, that would be a, a bad example, but only set a godly influence for Charlie. God, we present her to you today that you would do with her life, as you see fit, hide your word in her heart that when the time comes, she is able to serve you with her whole life and her whole heart. We love you today, and we present this family and little Charlie to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. I think she's got some haul in her. She is a... She is going to preach or something up here, prophesy or something. Go, girl. You go. God bless you. God bless you, little Charlie. We love you. Hey. Hi, baby. Hello, baby. Oh, now you're going to be quiet. Now you're going to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Are you teething? Uh, oh, you, yeah. see, she wants to preach. She wants my microphone. Amen. Amen. We are that church. Praise the Lord. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the final week of that church. It's been a four-week series, and uh, we have titled it That Church. We've been specifically talking about how church is supposed to operate like a family. Uh, we've been uh, very cognizant and very focused on presenting the church as a family. Uh, how many of you enjoyed the block party last week? Amen. What, what a... Man, we had a great time, did we not? I mean, it was fun. We had a lot of fun, and that's what families are supposed to do, especially in the summertime, right? Families have family reunions in the summertime, and that was like a family reunion. And we had good food and good fellowship, and a lot of people got up there and sang, and I saw dancing going on and stuff. I, I don't know. I was down here keeping myself uh, prime and, and proper and holy and all that kind of stuff. Actually, what I was doing was not getting far away from the snow cones and the barbecue, but that's... Another sermon for another time. So I, 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 this morning is our fourth week and our final week of what we have been calling That Church. What is That Church? I know we've got visitors here this morning. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you. We always take a moment to say we appreciate you. God bless you ladies in the back. Uh, we are abnormal. We are not what you expect when somebody says they want you to come to church we want you to show up at this church, at that church, and not find what you was expecting when they said, let's go to church. 
Because some of you, when they said, let's go to church, you thought, well, I'll at least get a good nap in. Not at that church. Uh, or m maybe I can sneak in late and, and leave early and nobody will notice that I was ever there. Not at that church. I, I, want, I want you to embrace being abnormal. Amen? And every week of this series, we have been taking a few moments and hearing from one of our families uh, testimony of uh, what this church has meant, what that church has meant to that family. And we're going to do that this morning. And i got to say, I'm very excited about this morning's testimony. And there's a reason why. Uh, some of you have been with us for a long time. You remember the old church. And you remember when we moved to this church. And, and you've been with us a long time. But I love it when we get to hear from new people that you may not even know yet. So welcome this morning, a testimony of one of our newest family members. And I'm very excited to hear from them. Hello, my name is Dave Parker, and this is my wife, Kim. And uh, we just I just want to say why we really enjoy coming here at Promise of Victory Church. Uh, from the first time we came here, we were shopping for a church. Um, we had been going through some really bad experiences in our life. And I remember when we first came here, the first thing that we saw people outside the door welcoming us, even before we got to the door. And so I was just so impressed. I was just, I felt happy when I, I got here. And then as soon as we came into the building, we, there was this time of the, uh, worship and praising God and Pastor Amanda was leading the congregation and it was anointed of God. It, you felt the presence of God very strongly. And then when Pastor came up and he shared the Word of God, I know God was using him to speak to my heart because I needed healing in my heart. And uh, I remember listening to him and he's deep, um, he's funny, uh, he's very practical with the Word of God. And I was, I was telling my wife, I said, even the hilarious things the pastor would say, I'm thinking, where in the world did he come up with those things? And uh, so I know God was just using them great just to heal us. And now today, um, my family, we all attend this church. We love this church. Uh, we're part of this church. And uh, we're part of that church. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here this morning, uh, come and be part of that church, Promise of Victory, Church of God. Yes, we have loved every minute of attending Promise of Victory Church of God. Uh, from the very first Sunday, as Dave said, uh, it has been a place of healing for us. It has been such a welcoming church. Uh, we've been so impressed by the love and the welcoming that we have received. And everybody cares about everybody. It really is a home uh, where you can find your your place. Uh, it's a place to belong. Our children are now involved. Our daughter Katie works in the media and our son Nick works in the coffee shop and my parents attend and uh, we all sit together. We save a big row and we just can't wait to get to church on Sundays because we're so excited to see what God has for us. So if you're looking for a church, if you're looking for that church, Promise of Victory is the church that you need to, to attend. Thank you. God bless you all. We love you guys. That, that, 
I'm, I'm, not, I'm not overwhelmed very often, but you don't always know what I know. You don't always see what I see. And from that little gravel church in the hole, in Collier's, to what God has done and what he's doing. I, I, still, I still walk around this place when I'm here in the office during the week and just try to take it in. Because this wasn't my plan. And to hear people say this is healing to their family and healing to their... I hope you never take that stuff for granted. Because there's a lot of dry and desert and dusty places out there that call themselves churches. And I'm not casting dispersions. They don't know what they don't know. But there's life here. There, there, there is rejuvenation happening on a weekly basis here. Don't take it for granted because God doesn't like being taken for granted. I read in the Old Testament where he removed himself from being taken from granted. And then I read in the book of Revelation how he removed candlesticks out of the church when they began to take things for granted. So don't ever take for granted when God is doing such miraculous things around you. Well, I haven't got it yet, Pastor. Well, hold on. Because if enough of them get it, it's bound to be your turn at some point. Somebody say amen. That's what we believe at this church. So I'm going to ask you if you would this morning, and, and I won't keep you like a yo-yo. I, I, I'll, I'll let you remain seated for the rest of this service. But I'm going to ask you if you would for the honor of the word of God to stand with me this morning. We're going to take our text out of Matthew chapter 5. If you don't know where Matthew is, find the, find the New Testament hang of right. And, and you'll get there. Matthew, if you don't know where Matthew is, then, uh, well, you haven't been in church long, I don't guess. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. You're going to know these verses if you've been around church any at all, but you've never heard a sermon uh, preached from the angle that I'm going to bring it to you this morning, I pray, because uh, I'd never presented it in this fashion before. You are the salt of the earth. Do me a favor this morning. We're that church. We, we, we talk, we talk back to the preacher, and I don't mean hateful after service, I mean while I'm preaching. We're that church, and, and sometimes we embrace words that other churches don't want to embrace. That's what we've been doing this four weeks, right? So just look at a neighbor and say, hey neighbor, you salty? You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be, man, pay attention to this. This is heavy stuff. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as, say that last word, worthless. That hurts me. That, that hurts me. After everything Jesus has done for me, I do not want him to ever consider me worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, this is going to be the message I preached this morning. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise 
your heavenly Father. I'm going to read that last section again. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your good deeds shine out because whatever you're doing is shining. Make no mistake about it. You're advertising. You may not be advertising the thing that you want. And by the way, if you're advertising the wrong stuff, take that Povcog shirt off, please. Listen, if you're, going to, if you're going to wear the church merch, don't be showing your bird to everybody you pass on the road. Because I know some of you keep a bird in your car, and every time somebody cuts you off in traffic, you feel the need to show it to them. Don't do that if you have a bumper sticker that says, We attend Promise of Victory Church of God. Don't do that. Okay, you're advertising. I promise you, whatever you're doing, whatever's coming out of your mouth, whatever your hands find to do, you are advertising. So what Jesus is telling here is to let your good deeds shine out for all to see because then people will want to praise your heavenly Father. Amen? Father, I pray today that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would give me the anointed word that will bring liberation to those who hear it today, that you will do a work in this house and that you will set the captive free as only your spirit can do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. So every week of this series, we have adopted a word that most churches want to reject. But because we're that church, we take those words and we flip the script, and we will use it to identify ourselves. We've been saying for four weeks now, we are abnormal. We're not what people expect when they say we're going to church. Week one, we found out that the church needs a few troublemakers. We don't want to troublemake we don't want to be troublemakers for anybody except the enemy, but we want to cause him trouble every chance we get. The second week, the word that we used to be that church was that church is a little crazy. And when you go out and you say, I go to Promise of Victory, and they say, Oh, you go to that church, I want you to proudly say, That's right, I go to that crazy church. Because crazy folk believe that they can pray in one room and affect what happens in another room. Crazy folk believe that they can bring praises up to heaven and heaven will dump some blessings over the balcony and say, how's that for something? I, I, that's what a crazy... And then last week we found out before our block party that that church ought to be a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was told when I came to this church and I started talking about it at the old location, and I started talking about some of the plans that I felt like God was going to do. One of the elders said, you're just not realistic. And I looked him in the eye and I said, thank you. Because I didn't move my family five and a half hours to be a normal pastor in a normal church doing normal stuff. I want to be a little bit ridiculous. Amen. So that's who we are. We're that church. And this morning, this morning, I want to tell you that you ought to be a little salty. Now, now society is using that term these days as someone who, who is, uh, uh, if you're salty, you, you have resentment. You, you, you're irritated or maybe you're slightly annoyed or angry and they'll ask you, you salty? But according to Jesus, the church should be salty because the only other option is worthless. So we're either salty or worthless. I don't want to try to focus on any other church this morning except this one 
because I don't pastor any other church except this one. And I've been in a lot of churches. I'm going to be doing a lot of preaching in the next two months. I've got a lot of friends of mine that has asked me to come and do uh, a lot of speaking engagements. I've got a lot. I'm doing more evangelism this year than I've done since I was an evangelist. Uh, but but I, I'm going to be uh, speaking in a lot of places. I go to a lot of churches. I've been on the state council for the Church of God for the past four years. I've been I've been a lot of places. I've been in a lot of churches. And I've been in my in my 25 years of ministry. I've seen some some worthless stuff. I'm not saying the church is worthless. I'm saying that. The rituals that they have, the program they put on, the, the religious spirit that you feel as soon as you come into the building, it's, it's worthless. Because if it's not salty, I'm not saying it's worthless because I don't like the song selection. I'm not saying it's worthless because they make everybody dress in suits and ties. I, I'm not saying it's worthless because the people are worthless. What I'm telling you is you are either salty or you are worthless. And you can have church every Sunday for 20 years, and if you're not doing something that is being salt and light to the generation you're trying to reach, what you're doing is worthless. So look at your neighbor one more time and ask him, hey neighbor, you salty? Uh-huh. Go with me over to the book of Daniel. If you don't know where Daniel is, I don't have time to explain it to you. But you'll find it about, about uh, three-fourths of the way through your Old Testament. But the book of Daniel, chapter 1. First of all, let me give you a little bit of background. Daniel is part of Israel, and they have been taken captive. And, and the king called Nebuchadnezzar has taken them uh, into captivity. And, and, and they're trying to figure out what to do with all of these new slaves that they have just taken. And in chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says this. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. No one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you were raised on VeggieTales... You know them as Rack, Shack, and Benny. So they entered the royal service. Verse 20 says, Whenever the king consulted them in any manner requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them how many times? Ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Let me stop right there before I preach this passage. Let me stop right here and go back to what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. You're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, puts it under a basket. Verse 16, he said, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine. In the same way, let your good deeds shine. You are the light of the world. Listen to what happened with the king. He found them ten times more capable than his own magicians. So the king of the most powerful nation on earth at the time is looking for people not to preach revivals, not to lay hands on the sick and see him recover. He's looking for people that were qualified to lead his nation. He was not 
looking for people that was even his own race. He wasn't looking for people that was his own nationality. He said, whoever is the most skilled, the most gifted, the wisest, and who can do the job, bring them to me. And only four of them were followers of God. Are you with me? Okay, so the king interviews them, and the four boys that served the Lord stood out above everybody. They didn't just have the best resume. They didn't just go to the biggest Ivy League school. The Bible says they were ten times better at what they did than all their co-workers. They stood out not because they preached a lot or knew a lot of scriptures. They stood out because they did everything they did with excellence. So let me talk to the employees for just a second. Are you ten times better than everybody else at work? Don't answer that. That's rhetorical. Because the Bible says that the children of God were ten times more talented, ten times wiser. They got ten times more production than the other people because they were sold out to God. So here's what the king found. He found, he found out that the believers weren't more spiritual. They weren't more preachy. Can I, can I help you for a minute? Because some of you, that they didn't walk around on the clock while their employer is paying them to clean the house, while the employer is paying them to make parts in the shop, while the employer is paying them to keep a place clean. They didn't walk around all day on the company's time preaching to all the other employees telling them all how they're going to go to hell if they don't get right with Jesus, and calling that witnessing. Did you notice how quiet it got in here? Because everybody either is that person or knows that person. Because I've worked with that person before. While there is a time and a place to witness, it's not while the employer is paying you to work. And, and so he found out that he was not... He was not going to get people that were preachy. He got people that were wise. He, listen to what the Bible says. They had wisdom and understanding. In other words, they contributed to the company. They solved problems. They didn't create problems. They made the workplace a better place to be. It's quiet in this mortuary this morning. Y'all usually helping me. I, I'm, not, I'm not up here telling y'all that God's going to give you blessings and favor. I'm telling you that you got some work to do. I understand. I brought an amen in my pocket this morning. I'll pull it out when I need it. We've been talking about being that church, a church that is abnormal, not what people expect. I'm going to tell you that you should be that Christian, not what people expect. That when you go to the workplace, yes, you are to be a Christian, but being that Christian means you ought to stand out. And it doesn't mean you stand out because you start quoting Scripture and you tell the boss, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus when he tells you you was late this morning. Because Jesus don't have nothing to do with your boss looking at a time clock. <laughs> I'm going to let you know up front, this is not going to be a shouting sermon, and I will not be popular when it's over with some of you, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you because if this hasn't got to you yet, I got a nerve for you yet later, okay? But when you go to Bible college and learn hermeneutics, 
an exegesis, and I, I didn't say extra Jesus, exegesis. When you go to Bible college, one of the things that you have to study is church history. I'm fascinated by it. I'm not as so much anymore, but I used to be fascinated with it. So, so, so if you will oblige me and, 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 and humor me, I'm going to give you a little bit of church history, and I'm going to try not to be as dull as my professor was. A lot of people know the history of the church that they grew up in. Or, or you know the history of the church that you joined and you uh, maybe spent a lot of time working in that church. And if you're saved in America, you know the history of the American church. Okay, But we have been preaching this series out of the book of Acts because that was the original church. Immediately after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. And what I want to draw attention to today is that when the church began... It was just what it was, the church, one church, under one name. It wasn't the church of God. It wasn't the Roman Catholic church. It wasn't even the Orthodox church. It wasn't a Protestant church. It was the church church. I don't know what kind of sign they put outside. I know they drew fish. <laughs> I know they had some ichthus that pointed the directions for people, but it was just the church, church, when, when they said they were the ecclesia, which means the called out ones, I'll get to that in a minute. When, when they said they were the ecclesia, everybody knew what they meant, and it didn't, you didn't have to ask, oh, is that a Methodist church? Oh, is that part of the Southern Baptist Convention? Because it was just the church, church. Are you with me? So for the first 300 years after Jesus went back to heaven, Christianity spread like wildfire. It was going everywhere. And I've been telling you for weeks now, these preachers didn't know what they were doing. Nobody had been to Oral Roberts University. No, nobody had learned how to build a proper sermon. So they didn't know what they were doing, but what Christianity was going everywhere. It was spreading like wildfire. And there were five key bishops. There were thousands of bishops in the early church, but there were five key bishops that were in charge of the church in larger areas, larger population areas. And every year, they would get together and discuss the best ways to make sure the message of Christ was getting out and going uh, as, as productive as possible. Fast forward to the 4th century. And these five bishops were summoned together by the Roman emperor named Constantine. Here's what Constantine charged them to do. Remember, this was before there was ever a Bible written. You, you couldn't go online to, to BibleGateway.com. There, there were no handheld versions of the Scriptures. People were passing it through word after word, of word of mouth, the word of mouth, the word of mouth. There, there was a few pa uh, papyruses. There, there was a few handheld versions of parts of the Bible. But there was nothing like you have today. So what Constantine wanted them to do was he said, I want you guys to get together and I want you to develop what the creed for being a Christian will look like. In other words, write down something that we can follow so we will know whether a person is a Christian or not. I'm not going to bore you with the entire document, but after these meetings, they provided Constantine with something we call the Nicene Creed. I'm not going to tell you what the entire creed is, but it was the very first doctrine of the church. Your faith, if you're a Christian this morning, your faith is built on this creed. 
And it basically defines what a Christian looks like, what they have to believe in. I'm not going to give you the whole things, but basically there's four main categories. God the Father is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. And he stands alone all by himself. The second thing is his son is Jesus Christ. He is holy God. He was born of a virgin, and that's how he entered this world, and uh, he died for our sins. The third thing, and this is going to be important in the rest of my story, the Bible is God's infallible word. That it is by itself the only source for faith and truth. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what popular opinion says. That book is the only source for faith and truth. And the last thing is the Holy Spirit is also God. And he is still here on this earth, and he's guiding us toward more, uh, more Christ-like living. Okay? That's the Nicene Creed in a nutshell. And anything that is taught outside of those things is considered heresy. Are you with me? I don't want to bore you. But I, I'm going somewhere with this. Any church, say any church, any church that is built on these creeds is a church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that to you again. Any church built on these creeds is a church of Jesus Christ. Any church that don't preach is a cult. I didn't make the rules. This is what the Nicene Creed declared. Any Christian who has their faith in this is by definition a Christian. And any church that is built on this creed is a church. And it doesn't matter. There's a lot of different churches out there. We have a great praise team. I mean, fantastic out of this world. But there are churches that don't allow music in their sanctuaries. But because of the creed that they believe in, they're as much of a church of Jesus Christ as we are. There are churches that don't believe that the Holy Spirit gifts are still operating today. I don't know why they wouldn't want it. They ask me sometimes, and you've heard this saying before, they've asked me before, if they, well, do I have to have the Holy Spirit baptism to go to heaven? I said, no, but I wouldn't want to go to Walmart without it, but that's just me. And, and, and I just want you to understand that there's a lot of different churches, but as long as they believe Jesus Christ is his son, he was born of a virgin, he died for our sins, that God alone is God, that the Holy Spirit is still active in this earth, and that this word is the infallible truth of God, then they're a church. If they don't teach those things, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the world today that is denying tenets of our faith, like the virgin birth of Jesus, like the Word of God should be taken literal or not be taken literal. And they, they think that uh, we need to uh, quit teaching the Old Testament because it's outdated and, and, our, and our, uh, we have become more enlightened. I don't know who you think you are, but when you think you are more enlightened than El Shaddai, then I don't know what kind of category to put you in. So if I believe God is going to take me to heaven when I die, but I don't believe that he knew what he was meaning when he said something, he's not much of a God. But what I want to focus on for the sake of this message is what happens next. Because whenever God does something, it's perfect. When he built the garden and he put Adam and Eve in it, he gave them one job. <laughs> listen, listen, he gave them one job and no clothes. 
And all my married folks said, amen. No wonder that's called paradise. He gave them one job, no clothes. It was perfect. And we messed it up. Because anytime God does something, it's perfect, but then he puts it in our hand. Come on. He puts that perfect, pure thing in the hands of jacked up humanity. And we put our spin on it, and problems begin. So we fast forward in our story to 1054 A.D. And the Pope, or the Bishop of Rome, decides that he wants to adjust the Nicene Creed. And he's not going to consult the rest of the council about it. As a matter of fact, he decided he was going to change it and not ask anybody else's opinion because what he did was declare himself as the sole authority of the church and that whatever he said should be taken as literal as the Bible. We just found out that anytime you do that, you're called a heretic. So when the other bishops found out that the bishop down at Rome has decided he's as important as God, they said, hey, you're excommunicated out of our church. He turns around and says, nope, you're excommunicated out of my church. And in 1054 A.D., we have our very first church split. So we have the Roman Catholic church that develops, and then we have the Orthodox church that develops. 1054 A.D., one split. Are you with me? Can I tell you that the history of the church is not filled with feel-good messages? The history of the church is ugly. We've gotten some things really right, and we've gotten some things really wrong. After this church split, there was something called the Crusades where Orthodox churches were burned to the ground and people that would not renounce their newfound faith were actually murdered in the name of Jesus. The church literally turned on itself because we stopped believing the same things. Now, if you fast forward to the 1500s, there's a troublemaker. He must have been starting that church because his name was Martin Luther. He started reading scriptures and found out that there was stuff, some stuff going on in the church that he could not line up with what God said. So, so he found out that the church was actually being run by men and not by God. And there was a lot of problems. Ninety-five of them to be exact. And that was what's called the Protestant Reformation. That's the second church split. So, from... Basically, the beginning, the inception of the church to 1500s, how many splits do we have? Everybody, you are math majors. Thank you this morning. We're not done causing problems just yet. One of Luther's issues with the church was that, with the Roman Catholic Church, was that the word of the Pope had become as important as what God said, as important as Scripture. And, and, and Luther said that Scripture alone should be our authority for living. It's, it's, it's uh, sola scriptura. That, that, that only Scripture should document or, or instruct or put the guardrails up for our living. Amen? Also, you have to understand, no one was allowed to read the Bible for themselves. Only bishops and the Pope could read it, and then they told you what God said. Luther said, there's got to be a better way. 
So they invented something, Gutenberg invented something called the printing press. And the very first book that they started spitting out of the printing press was a copy of the Bible. Amen? So in 1,500 years, nobody had ever been able to read the Bible for themselves. And now suddenly, we can all get a copy of what God said and read it for ourselves. And that should be good. I set you up. That should be a good thing. We can read the Word for ourselves. But here comes the bad part. Well, if I don't need the Pope, and I don't need a priest to tell me what God said, I can start my own church. So in 1,500 years, we had how many church splits? You remembered. Two church splits. From 1,500 to now, a few more. Over 300,000 church splits since 1500 because now we all got a copy of what God said and we can interpret it for ourselves. So, so in other words, we just have a way of messing up good things God hands to us. So Martin Luther saw that the politics of the world, I said all that to say this, the politics of the world had gotten into the church. Here's what Martin Luther observed. The church would change its message based on what the king decreed. If the king told the church to stop preaching on something, they would change their message, especially if the king gave a great big all. As long as the king was being good to the church, the church would turn around and literally sell the word of God and say whatever they wanted said in the town square. What does all of this have anything to do with Jesus wanting you to be salt and light? Well, I'm glad you asked. After the Reformation, the church decided they never wanted that kind of corruption to get into the church again. So the mindset of the early church was this. We will only focus on heaven and not focus on anything in this world. After all, this world's going to burn. So why should we focus on anything that goes on here? Let's only be heavenly minded. Well, there's a problem with that. Because Jesus said, we're supposed to be salt and light where we are. And if I don't care and am not concerned about what's happening anywhere I am, I can't be salt and light if I don't have any compassion for the environment that God put me in. So there was a problem with this, and the problem is this. God wants us to be salty. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, Israel is once again in captivity because if there was anything Israel was good at in the Old Testament was getting caught. They're in captivity, and God uses Jeremiah to preach this message. And in Jeremiah 29 and 7, he says this, And work for the peace and the prosperity. I'm going to use those three words again. Peace and prosperity. Peace, work, work. This is God's people. God's people are being told to work at peace and prosperity, not of the church. Not, not of your house, of the city where I sent you. 
You didn't ask to go there. You're going there as a slave. You're in exile. Pray to the Lord for that city. For its welfare will determine your... I'm, I can tell some of y'all never heard a sermon like this before. Because we're told it's us against them. We're, we're told that we're supposed to pit ourselves and come out from among them and be ye separate. And you're right in morality. But in reality, God plants us in places because he expects us to be salty where he puts us. Because if you don't go there and witness and you don't go there and pray and you don't go there and be a light, how is God ever going to save anybody? A wretch like you was reached by somebody. Uh-huh. So God, look what God said. He sent them there. They didn't ask to go. They're going there as slaves. And they were supposed to, while they're there, work for the peace and prosperity. And listen to what he says, pray for the land, because if the land prospers, you will prosper. Now, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm going to get to this in a minute. But we got so ugly. Can, can I say that word in church? Church, we got so ugly in 2020 toward the world that we became worthless I can tell I, I told you I was going to offend you before it was over with I'd get every one of you before it was done Jesus said if you're not salt you're worthless and nobody was being salty by going on Facebook and berating churches for closing down or berating churches for opening up pastors literally could not win I had personal friends that resigned immediately because they could not take the pressure anymore. Because no matter what they did, somebody was mad at them, about half. Either half the community, half the church. And for us to go and try to tell men and women of God who are leading churches what they should be doing, you're not responsible for that. You should be, you should, and other preachers talking about other preachers, it was ungodly, it was unsavory, it was unflavorable, it was worthless. And the whole world was watching us tear each other apart on social media over something none of us had control over. Listen to what he said. Pray for the land because if the land prospers, you will too. If I ain't made you upset yet, hold on. Look at your neighbor and say it's your turn now. Because not only, I don't know if you remember this, but there was something else going on in 2020. Round about November that the church also got called up in. And the church also got very public about. And also sometimes became very worthless about. Because the Bible says that where I am, I'm supposed to be praying for the success of the land because if the land gets successful, so will the church. But I've watched people in the last two years that call themselves believers and Christians and fly a flag of Christianity and faith and they're praying everything will fall apart just so their side can win. Can I tell you this morning that we're not supposed to draw sides? Can I tell you this morning that there's only one rule of our faith, and that's supposed to be 
pointing people to Jesus Christ. And Jesus died for people on every side of every political arena. i got to pull my amen out of my pocket this morning because I'm not going to get no help. Listen to what the Bible says. The church has been placed, and we should be praying for where we've been placed. That means your town, your city, your county, you need to pray for that job you've got. Not, not pray that an a, a, a air conditioner will fall out of the window on top of your foreman's head. You should be praying because if the place prospers, you prosper. You should be praying for your nation. But my team didn't win. Sure they did. Your team is owned and operated by a CEO named Jesus Christ, and he's never lost a battle. He's on the throne. He didn't give it up because somebody won an election and somebody lost one. He didn't give it up 40 years ago. He won't give it up another 40 years from now. He alone is our king. And the Bible says here, if the peace of God reigns and the will of God causes the land to prosper, you will prosper. That means he strategically places believers in a land. Because he wants his will accomplished in that land, but he needs somebody to work through. So we end up with the church not being effective in the very place that God sent it because we don't realize we were sent on a mission. We think that only in this world, can I just help you? I'm going to act like I don't know you. Hi, stranger. I'm Evangelist Mitchum. I won't be here next week. Y'all can come back and hear the pastor preach. He'll preach nice. We act like in the world the only people that's anointed are people that preach. We act like that the only people that are called to do a uh, job are people that lead, uh, lead choirs, lead praise teams, and preach up here. Like God ain't never called nobody to be a doctor. Because being a doctor, you can't help the kingdom of God by being a doctor. And, and God's never called anybody to be a teacher in a public school. And God's never called anybody to be a manager or, even better yet, an owner of their own business where they can be a godly employer and treat their employees with respect and honor and show them what a real Christian looks like. As if God's... When I first moved here, we were very poor. When I say uh, very poor, we... I don't want to bore you with the detail. We were really poor. We moved here. We, the church was 12 people strong. and I mean, it, a lot of debt and no money and... We were very poor, and God, God called me to be in full-time ministry with him to go to work. He met all of our needs. It was, a, it was an exercise of faith. We're here today because we passed that test. Just long story short. One of the problems I had was for years I didn't go to the dentist because I, could, I didn't have any insurance. One day I was, I was having a real bad problem with a tooth, and I, I just picked a random dentist because I didn't know anybody in this area. I picked a random dentist out of random Things just randomly happen. I picked a random dentist out of the phone book, made one phone call. You know how hard it is to get in dentist? It, yeah, I was there in, that afternoon. I didn't even know it was hard to get in the dentist office until we had to change dentist when he retired. Because I didn't realize it was hard. Because I made one phone call. He says, yeah, get here immediately and we'll take care of it. So I went to a dentist on West Street, Dr. Flasco. He had me in his chair. He said, you got a lot of problems. I said, yeah, I haven't saw a dentist in years. Don't have no insurance. I don't know what this is going to cost, but I'll work something out, maybe a payment plan. He says, you got this wrong. You got that wrong. You need a root canal. You got this wrong. 
lots of feelings. I said, I can't afford all that. He said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it when time comes. I was in his chair for a total of 16 hours over the span of four days. Time came for, he, he was stitching me up and healing me up. And he says, we're done. He come in. He shut the door behind me. He says, I want you to know, I highly respect what you do. I was about to go to seminary. But I knew that I could also serve the Lord by being a dentist. So I want to know, we charge $38 for an office visit. If I can just charge you for one office visit to have something on my books to keep my partner off my back, can you afford the $38? I said, you did a $650 root canal, and that's just one trip. He said, this is how I serve God and serve his ministers. All told, which is about 18, 19 years ago, I got about twelve to $1,600 worth of work done for $38. Because God sent me to the right dentist who was not in seminary and preaching in pulpits because he knew he could also serve the Lord if he was a house cleaner or a plumber, y'all going to help me, or an electrician, or wherever he was driving a truck, whatever he was doing, he could also be anointed for that place if God can help people cast out devils don't you think he can anoint them to cure cancer and to lead nations listen I'm hoping one of you gets the anointing to invent because I'm salty you want to talk about being salty I'm salty I'm salty that people like Captain Kirk can pay Jeff Bezos multiple millions of dollars to go fly around in space for 45 minutes, but ain't none of you invented lettuce that tastes like milkshakes yet. Are you kidding me? We can take an afternoon and just go sprint around the earth, but we still eating Brussels sprouts that taste like dirt? Somebody needs to get their inventing spirit on them, get an anointing to break through this mess, because there's a curse on the earth. And it tastes like broccoli. Help a brother out. <laughs> when you don't realize that God places you where he places you for a purpose, you don't have any investment in that place. And therefore, you miss the reason God put you there. And you're waiting for the next opportunity to come up and take the microphone from pastor. Because you think this is the only place where you can be anointed. Uh, I told you this is going to be heavy this morning because the other flip side of this is you either have no investment in the place or you have too much. Here's Jesus, teach us how to pray. Okay. Our Father who art in the White House, hallowed be thy name. Oh, that's not what he said. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy... Your kingdom come on earth like it is up there. Kingdom. Your kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy 
thy kingdom come, thy will. Do y'all believe that? Don't, don't, don't say yes unless you mean it because you know I'm setting you up. Do you, do, you, do you really believe that God is sovereign, that he's in control of all things? Is there anybody that is sold out to the idea of God's sovereignty? Okay. I'm glad you said that because we don't act like it. And we lose our saltiness because of it. Because if his will is really being done in the New York Stock Exchange and the price of gas and the inflation and who's in the Capitol and who's in the governor's mansion and who... Y'all not going to help? Oh, it got quiet in this mortuary all of a sudden. Yeah, if his will is being done, why do we always act like it ain't? Why are we always trying to represent God in a way that we think we know what he wants? See, we have surrendered this earth to the hands of unbelievers. And we are wondering why the world is so jacked up. But we don't think we're supposed to have any kind of influence in the world except for our mouth. But back in Daniel, the king was looking for somebody that could understand dreams. And the nation was dependent on somebody that could explain what was about to happen. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 12, it says, This man Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He'll tell you what this thing means. He said, when the king wanted somebody to solve the problems, he did not look for a preacher. He did not look for the most spiritual person. Now, Daniel was spiritual. You don't go into a lion's den and come out the next morning if you ain't spiritual. He was spiritual, but his spiritualness is not what got him promoted. You know what got him promoted? Listen to what it says. Knowledge, understanding, and solving problems. That sounds like an engineer or a manager, or a teacher, or a mom, or a nurse. That, that, that sounds like putting your hands to work and whatever your hands finds to do, doing it as unto the Lord. The institutions of this world are being corrupted by unbelievers and we wonder why people don't know where God is anymore because we have turned all the institutions over to them and we don't influence where we are anymore because we can't wait to get in our huddled masses on Sunday and, and let the preacher tell us how great we are and we don't go into the world and influence them at all. And the Bible says that you're the salt of the earth. And if you're not salt, it's worthless. So God has anointed you to do more at that job than just collect a paycheck. He's called you to be an ambassador for the kingdom. And that means your boss ought to be coming to you saying, you're the most valuable asset we have here. And not just because you're nice. Because being nice is good, but being nice don't make money for the company. You should be the most valuable asset they have because you're smarter than everybody else. Your work is better than everybody else's. You go above and beyond. Uh, oh, they don't appreciate me. Listen, they're not paying you to be appreciated. They're paying you to do a job. If you want appreciation and affirmation, I suggest you get a puppy. A black pug will do fine because he makes me feel good all the day long. So, so let me help you. They're not paying you to make you feel good. They're paying you so that you'll show up and they will pay you as little as they can to get you to show up the next day but you're not working ultimately for them you're working for the one that placed you there to have an influence have it 
So you ought to be able to say like Daniel, listen, yes, I have education. Yes, I went to school. Yes, I have training. Yes, I did all these things. But you don't understand. The reason I'm able to do what I'm able to do is because I've got the hand of God on my life. He has favored me, opened doors no man can close, and shut me through places I didn't even want to go. So let me tell you how I pray for promise of victory because I come in this sanctuary often and I just walk around these and, and, and people that will see me on security cameras probably think I'm crazy, but I'm walking around these seats and I'm praying for people in promise of victory. I'm praying that we get people in this room that build multi-million dollar businesses. I, I want that for you. I'm praying that there are teachers in this room that go on to get your Ph.D., and you go into the universities and the secular humanism that is being taught there and you counteract that with the ability and the anointing of Almighty God. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that there are people under the sound of my voice that you get elevated into management positions that you did not earn and you don't have the credentials to get there. And when people come to you and say, how'd you get that? You say, it was the Lord who was on my side. And the reason you do it is because you're able to show people that work for you and under you what godly leadership looks like. So God puts you where he can trust you. So what we have to learn is that we're never going to transform the world unless we conform ourselves to the word. Latest studies show that less than 4% of people who claim to be Christians hold a biblical worldview. Four percent. Four percent claim to have a biblical kingdom worldview. See, I'm going to get right to the edge of getting canceled, and then we're just going to jump right over it. See, I'll just go ahead and cancel me. Get your phones out. Start recording because you can go viral with this. Four percent of people who claim to be Christians have a biblical worldview. Four percent. Four percent. But you have a worldview. And if it's not a biblical worldview, where do you think you got it from? Maybe you have a progressive worldview. Maybe you have an inclusive worldview. Oh, I'm going to hurt some feelings. Maybe you got a Democrat worldview or a Republican worldview. Maybe you got a white, black, or brown world. And you're not focused on kingdom because you're looking through the lens of something that is much lower than the kingdom. But your distinction, oh my God, is not the R or the D on your voting ballot. Your distinction is not the pigment and the melanin in your skin. Your distinction is not your class when you file your taxes at the end of the year. Your distinction is supposed to be the salt that you have permeating out of you everywhere. And if you don't have salt, you're good for your faith calls you out. It does not allow you to fit in. Hello. So I can't go in all the places other people do because I'm called out. I can't visit all the websites other folks do because I'm called out. I can't listen to everything that everybody else can listen to because I'm called out. Uh-huh. 
And here's why. In Mark chapter 12, can I, can I help you without making you too mad at me? Because I'm just going to end this. Uh, I'm not done preaching, but I'm going to quit because I've done hurt you enough. In Mark chapter 12, here's what Jesus said. Let me just get down here to show you. I ain't, me and the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of none of you. Jesus said, you can take all the commandments God gave us and all the one the Pharisees added, you some of them too. Love the Lord with everything you got. Your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And love your neighbor like you love you. Everything else is wrapped up, bundled up, tied up, tangled up in those two. And everything else is less than that. Everything else is lower than that. Everything else is substandard to kingdom. This is why I cannot affiliate myself with any kind of title on this earth. Because everything here is below kingdom. Oh, you don't believe me, so let me hurt your feelings. Well, I believe that God supports the Democrat part. I believe God supports the Republican. Can I tell you something about earthly politics? It's all substandard to the kingdom. And when Jesus said there's only two real commandments, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself, when I look at the two main po political parties in our nation, one of them does one real well and don't do the other one too well. And the other one does the other thing real well, but don't give a hoot about what God says. So the best I could ever do with aligning with either kind of party would be a 50% split. And that's not good enough to me because I have to do both of these things, love God with everything I have and love my neighbor as myself. So when people ask me what my views are, I have to tell them, it don't matter what my views are. What does the book say? Pastor, what do you think about Roe v. Wade? Doesn't matter what I think. What does the book say? What do you think about this agenda? Well, uh, same sex, doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the Word says because the kingdom is above all, in all, and through. And now that I've offended you, I want to make you feel good. So, We asked the teachers and the, the school staff before they go back to class, we wanted to get them together and we wanted to pray over them. I also want to pray over the students before they start going back to school. Because here's why I've been preaching it all day. Let me sum it up. I'll give you 55 minutes and 10, 11, 12 seconds worth of preaching in, two, in one sentence. I don't want them to go into these places and feel like they're not as called to do what they do as I am to do what I do. And by the way, they need as much faith to do what they're doing as I do to do what I'm doing. Be salt everywhere you go. I could tell you stories about Christians that I worked with before I met Jesus. And my testimony was... If that's a Christian, 
I don't want to be one. Don't be that person. Well, they don't appreciate me. They don't take care of me. They d Getting on Facebook and bashing your employer. You don't have to worry about whether they're happy with it. I promise you God's not. Any more than he is if you get on Facebook and bash your husband and wife. I can always tell whose wives don't have an account. Or whose husband don't get on Facebook. Because I'm like, I got marriage counseling coming up if they see this. So I'm going to ask at this time if the teachers and the school staff would come up. Everyone that signed up, or is their names going to be up here? I don't know. I never know what's happening. Yeah, there they are. I know uh, Lisa's not here today. I know Krista Moffat's not here today. She's recovering from surgery. So the ones that we do have. Come on over here, guys. We want to be a blessing to you. So, so when you go to into your workplace it's it's every bit as important to be salt there as it is in a kids room as it is in the nursery or it is around this altar as a matter of fact it might be even more important because they're not expecting to run into Jesus out there People are expecting them in here. So I want to pray a blessing over you because you need as much anointing to do what you do as I do to do what I do. Sarah, can some of you, Pastor Lejean, some of the staff come up? Just kind of stand behind them. Let's pray over them. Jessica, come up here. Help us pray. Yeah, come on up, Amy. Father, in your mighty name, we know that there are political oppositions and socio-oppositions and problems that you are aware of that cause us, Lord, to walk on eggshells if we're not full of faith and trust in you for our outcome. But God, I want you to anoint these to carry your spirit they may never get to preach a message God they may never get to lay hands on somebody and pray with them but God they can they can be harbingers of your spirit as they walk through the doors of these institutions and they can bring your power and your glory and your anointing and cause disruptions to the kingdom of hell because of what they carry on them we honor their positions we honor what you've called them to do and where you place them, God. Help them not run from that placement, but to stay in what you've called them to. To have the strength and the glory in all that they do and say. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
So we've got a couple of gifts we want to share with you today. Don't run off because I want the kids to come. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, yeah, uh, staff, don't run off, please. Can we just take a step back? There you go. I want to have the kids come through here and just bring a, a line of the children. And as they come through, if you would pray a blessing over them before they go back. Because I want them not only to be protected, but I want them to have the Spirit of God inside of them. I, I want them to know who Jesus is for themselves and to sh be able to have the anointing on their life. So, church, why don't you stretch your hands forward. Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray for these little ones today. <laughs> Precious lives. Jesus loves the little children. All the. If you wonder where all the church is, now you know. You guys be sitting in here thinking, boy, these seats are empty. Yeah, but not if all these were in here. All of the children's workers and the staff for the children's departments, if you'd come up. Pastor Israel, come on up. Pastor Ryan's here. My God in heaven. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this wonderful? So church, won't you stretch your hands forward? Let's bless them real good before they go back. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, these are, these are future prophets and preachers and evangelists and teachers. But God, they're also future scientists and engineers and teachers and, and nurses and doctors and, and people that are going to drive trucks and, and, and people that are going to uh, uh, mow lawns and clean office buildings. And God, everything that their little hands find to do, God, we pray that you would anoint them with a special calling on their life, that where you plant them, they'll be successful, that where you place them, they will have the power of God, that they will overcome demonic strongholds and always give you glory for everything that happens happens in their life. God, that they would surrender their hearts and their lives to you at a young and an early age and never let go of the cross of Calvary, that they would know you as their Savior and that they would give you glory for everything that happens in their lives. That they would submit to your authority, that they would hide their, your word in their heart and that they would walk according to your plans and your designs. God, we give you the glory for every life that's represented here today. Everyone special, everyone anointed, and everyone has a special calling to be placed in this world to be a witness for your kingdom. Let us always remember whose we are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Let's give them a hand clap one more time. Woo! And listen, listen, if you're, if you're school staff and administrator, listen, every week we say, sign up, scan QR codes, do things to make us knowledgeable that you're going to be here. Do it. We want to know. We want to acknowledge you. We, wanna, we always want to take time uh, to, to, to respond to, to you, but you have to help us out, okay? So God bless you this morning, promise of victory. Everywhere you go, bring the kingdom of God with you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We love you. Promise of victory.
to get shy on me, lift up your soul. 